Resilient Cyber Podcast brings you conversations from diverse cybersecurity professionals, ranging from executives, subject matter experts, and aspiring entrants. Today's diverse threat landscape requires systems that can withstand a variety of cyber incidents, remaining trustworthy and secure. As always, we want to give a special shout out to our season two sponsor, Accurix. That's A-C-C-U-R-I-C-S. Accurix is a infrastructure as code security company, which helps codify security for your cloud native infrastructure by codifying security throughout the development lifecycle. They also manage the popular open source IAC project, TerraScan. Visit them at Accurix.com for more. Thank you for joining us on the Resilient Cyber Podcast. My name is Chris Hughes, along with my co-host, Dr. Nikki Robinson. Hey, everybody. And today we're joined by Kyriakos, a.k.a. Rock Lambros. Rock, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Nikki. Thanks for having me. Definitely. We're excited to have you on. So for those that don't know you, do you mind telling us a bit about your background, you know, how you got into cyber, that kind of thing? Sure. Uh, so just real quick, uh, as Chris said, my name is Rock Lambros. I'm the CEO and founder of Rock Cyber, a cybersecurity consulting organization based out of Denver, Colorado. But prior to launching Rock Cyber back in 2018, you know, I've been in cybersecurity for greater than 20 years, right, on the practitioner side, most recently building and leading the cybersecurity program for an oil and gas company here in Denver, both on the IT and OT side. So, you know, I definitely bring a, a practitioner and operator viewpoint to the consulting side. And, you know, how I got into cyber, really, this is going to sound totally cliche, but after 9-11, you know, I had that knee-jerk reaction that I had to do something. I wasn't in a position where I could join the military. And I just, you know, maybe one of the few times in my life I had some really good foresight. <laughs> I saw that, you know, the next battlefield was going to be this thing, this newfangled thing called the Internet. And, you know, started pivoting my career that way. I was a Oracle DBA at the time. So got more into database security, which, which led me into various other paths uh, up through the technology ranks, right, from network security and, and then got into some GRC. And then lo and behold, one day I was a CISO. That's awesome. I did not know that about your background in terms of the, uh, you know, the OT background, the industrial control systems, which is a really hot area too. Definitely getting a lot of attention these days. So you mentioned like going into the CISO role. I, I know you also have a book coming out that you're co-authoring called The CISO Evolution, Business yeah, Knowledge for Cyber... Yeah, business knowledge for the cybersecurity executive. How critical do you think it is for CISOs to understand the business? And then something I always find interesting too is like, how do they balance their technical skills with their business acumen, which is really tough to do? It is, right? So it is critical that CISOs understand the business, right? And understand the business context, understand the organization strategy and how the organization tends to get there. Because without doing that, all you're going to do is operate cybersecurity in a vacuum. And, you know, you're going to be seen as that department of no, because you don't have, you know, you're, you're not able to kind of raise your, your head above the trees and take a look at the organizational strategy as a whole, how you can add value to the organization, how you could be an, an enabler. And, you know, without understanding that business context, there's just, there's just no way you're going to be operating in a vacuum and then you're going to not have um, the resources that you think you need to run your program, you're going to be under-resourced, underfunded, and and then burnout occurs, right? And we know that burnout is really high in our industry because we take our jobs seriously and very personally. So 
you know, it all kind of snowballs into that. Yeah, I, I think everyone, well, not everyone, but many people are starting to agree with you in terms of the business context and that driving some of the success of a cybersecurity executive. One question I have for you, more of a, maybe of a personal question is like, as you know, you mentioned you're a business owner, so am I, and I've been focusing more on the business side of things lately. But that said, technology is moving fast. You know, we have cloud native yes. technologies, you know, push for zero trust, all these different things, right? Uh, how do you try to stay on top of that stuff, at least, you know, at a high level in terms of fluency while still, you know, building your business uh, skills, for example? Yeah, a lot of reading, honestly, a lot of reading. LinkedIn is a great resource for, you know, kind of the hot topics of the day. So is InfoSec Twitter, if you look in the right places and and stay away from the drama that's there. And yeah, just reading, you know, a lot of the resources out there, Wired Magazine and, you know, RSS feeds and dark readings of the world and, you know, whatever. There's dozens of them. There are tons of resources out there about new technologies, new issues in the cybersecurity community. CyberScoop and CyberWire do a great job as well. So those are just some resources that I use. Yeah, that's awesome. I love when people actually provide like resources that they use because there is so much data out there. There's so much information out there, which brings me to my next question. I wanted to say I love on your LinkedIn, you have so many sort of shorter videos on different topics that, you know, people can go and, and watch and sort of get like a, some some quick info and some some great information from you. Uh, you. You had one on paralysis by analysis, which... I think is super fascinating, especially from the cognitive limitation standpoint. I've talked about this probably, I think Chris probably has heard me say that term a hundred times, but how much data we put into our decision-making when it comes to risk management. So I'm curious from your perspective, from, you know, having so much practical knowledge and now, you know, sort of owning a business, but where do you yeah. think that sweet spot is between the amount of data that we have versus the quality of data uh, that we take in? You know, and I think business context comes into play there as well, right? Because you're never going to have perfect data to make a perfect decision. And, you know, some organizations, their risk appetites are different, right? They range. So according to the risk, based on the risk appetite of the organization, you know, you may need to take a little bit more time and obtain a little bit more data before making risk-based decisions. And which, by the way, should be a group decision, whether it be your cybersecurity steering committee or the enterprise risk management group or whatever, you as a cybersecurity professional, as a CISO, can't be making risk decisions on behalf of the organization, by and large. So, you know, so, you know, the sweet spot is really, again, it goes to that business context. You need to understand that business context. Can't get wrapped around the axle of, you know, we need to, we need to align ourselves to any number of 27,000 frameworks that are out there. It's like pick one that works for your industry and go. Right. And, and start moving along. So, yeah, I think I think that's an important note just because there are so many resources out there for data. There's so much data that we're sort of ingesting all at one yeah. time, whether that's alerts, vulnerabilities, patches, all of that kind of stuff. So I just I appreciate that that context in, in data. Thanks. Yeah, definitely. And so so you and I, Rock, have been connected for some time, but uh, actually first kind of formally met you when we went through a program together recently from the Digital Directors Network with Bob Zukas, which basically is uh, helping get credential as a qualified technical expert. You know, it's aligning with uh, boards looking to get more tech savvy. So on that topic, do you think boards, do you think we'll see boards required to have, you know, QTEs or technology savvy folks on the board? And why do you think they lack technical fluency now, given that so much GDP is tied up in, uh, you know, technology? 
Okay, that's kind of a loaded question. So I'll take I'll take the 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 first part, which is is it going to be required? So I think we have to define like what does required mean? Is it required in the form of a qualified financial expert is to Sarbanes Oxley? It's going to take a while for us to get there, right? Because we know that um, we could have another podcast on my cynicism around Congress, but but we know significant changes like that are going to take a while to push through. And you know, I I think I think we're kind of marching towards that path. But in the meantime, right, we've still got issues, right? Boards require, they need technology experts on the board and they need uh, risk experts on the board. And, you know, the combination of the two lead to cybersecurity experts on the board. And, you know, because like you said, for so much of GDP is tied to technology and digital transformation and, and whatnot. So, we have to do that. And now I totally forgot about the second part of your question. Can you repeat it? Can you repeat it? Yeah. Please? So it was actually in line with what you said, which I liked is uh, you talked about, you know, how you frame required, right? Whether it's a legal requirement or it's required due to the market, right? We've seen, you know, Bob showed us studies showing that, you know, digital fluent boards, for example, tend to perform better as an organization yeah. on the market, right? So I, I asked like, you know, given that so many organizations are so reliant on technology in terms of uh, revenue and performance and, and market share, why do you think they lack that fluency now? It's, it's already right. so critical. I think, I, I think it's a, I mean, frankly, it's a generational thing. You know, the average age of board members, what did Bob tell us? It was like, it was north of 60, 65 years old, right? And, you know, I'm not trying to play any stereotypes here, but, you know, you know, the three of us look to be of about the same generation and we kind of grew up with the internet, right? The, the directors sitting in board seats today in, you know, particularly in larger public organizations, they did not grow up with the internet, right? They did not grow up with technology. They started their businesses on paper spreadsheets, right? So, you know, it's not kind of ingrained into their, into their thought processes uh, as it might be for, for us. Yeah. I, I think it's a really interesting perspective and it's something we sort of talked a little bit about before, before we started the the show on sort of where does risk management uh, fit on the board? Where does cybersecurity fit on the board along with technology? So to, I'm going to switch gears just a little bit because I saw your your presentation at the SANS Cybersecurity Leadership Summit where you were Thank talking you. about translating cyber risk into business risk, which is where sort of the conversation goes, right? Is how can practitioners sort of, you alluded to this a little bit, but how can practitioners really express risk properly? This is something that I think that it's very difficult for us to always communicate that risk up, you know, to the executive level and make sure that they really understand sort of the context and, and what we're talking about. So what are you, what do you think are some practical sort of things that we can do to improve that communication? Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for, thanks for attending that. That was, that was great. That was a good time. But, you know, again, it goes back to that business context. So how do you get that business context? If you're a, a new leader, or new to an organization, or even have been at an organization for a while, you could kind of take a step back and reset. I'm a big fan of the business model canvas. And, you know, the business model canvas describes kind of the rationale uh, of how an organization creates, delivers, and captures value, which is ultimately the goal of an organization. It offers, you know, it kind of presents a taxonomy for describing and visualizing, you know, some building blocks, right? I think there's, I think it's nine building blocks, Customer segments, value propositions, uh, customer relationships, the re- organization's revenue streams, key resources, key activities. 
but nowhere in there does it say, you know, what um, <laughs> what sassy solution are you going to go with, right? So, or, or you know, what uh, what MSP, what MSSP should you be leveraging, or you know, what what next gen firewall technology should you be leveraging, right? So, you know, if you're an incoming uh, leader, or again taking the opportunity to reset as an existing leader, this helps you solidify your understanding of the business. Yeah, I think it's a good point. And you you mentioned ta- taxonomy. As someone who's like a researcher and I'm very, very fascinated by how we use terminology and how we frame concepts, I think that it, improving those taxonomies that exist and even creating some new ones to help us sort of address those those gaps that we constantly see uh, between sort of security and risk and uh, management, how we can sort of combine the three I think there's a really big benefit to including some of the academic research and uh, work that's being done to improve what we do as practitioners. Yeah, there's a lot of good things happening in academia right now. And, you know, there's a, there, there is, you know, oftentimes a gap between academia and what boots on the ground is happening within the market and, or, and organizations. However, you know, if you take the good nuggets coming out of academia and are able to kind of meld it together with what's going on kind of in, I, I hate to say this, but the real world, right? That's where innovation happens, right? That's where, that's how, that's how innovation happens. And, you know, innovation isn't always technology innovation. Innovation could be how you are presenting risks to your steering committee, your enterprise risk management group. I, you know, in that SANS presentation, Nikki, that you mentioned, I compared it to being bilingual, right? And, you know, me trying to communicate with my mom, who born and raised, came over from Greece, never really learned English, but I've, you know, been out of the home for 25 plus years. And so now it's kind of like this mix of Gringlish that we communicate in because my Greek has fallen off the cliff. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, to, to improve that again. Right? It's, it's being able to, frankly, as CISOs, we need to communicate in both worlds, right? Deeply in the technology world and then also in the business world. Yeah, I like the the point you made regarding like academia and uh, the practitioner perspective. I actually actually had someone from Meyer la- last week on the show, and they kind of talked about that. How you know, on one hand, academia t- does tend to lag behind what the practitioners are experiencing in some cases, but at the same time, if practitioners ignore what's coming out of academia, they tend to just stick with the way they're doing things, and rather than right. looking for you know emerging research on topics. You guys talked a lot about you know language and taxonomy in your last comment there. You know, one thing I hear a lot now uh, from from thought leaders and such is like cybersecurity being a business enabler. And I know many of us will agree with that. But from a cyber practitioner perspective, how do we help communicate that back to the business? Say, once we have that business context, as you've talked about, how do we communicate that cyber is a business enabler? How do we help folks understand that and, uh, you know, maybe tell that story? Yeah, so it depends on the organization. But oftentimes, especially now with the emphasis on third-party vendor risk management, Oftentimes, cybersecurity can reduce the sales friction process, right? So you're you're speeding up a path to revenue because of, you know, whether it be, you know, answering these, you know, kind of these ridiculous questionnaires that are coming in, but, you know, going through the process of attaining, and I'm not saying every organization needs to do it, but I'm seeing this definitely more and more in the past year and a half, organizations going through the process of attaining an ISO 27001 or a SOC 2. Say what you will about those frameworks. You know, they are they're better than nothing. And, you know, they're they're showing and, you know, and then the organization is able to leverage those frameworks in their marketing efforts. So um, you're you're you've got direct ties to the business and both of those frameworks, for example, 
have requirements that leadership is engaged in cybersecurity, right? You actually usually have to show meeting notes as part of evidence in those audits, right? That you are briefing leadership on cybersecurity issues, on risk, that they're making, that the committee is making risk-based decisions, uh, so on and so forth. So, and again, having that business context and, you know, even going as far as creating that business model canvas allows you to kind of take a step back, not be that department of no, and understand, okay, I can like leverage and pivot my cybersecurity strategy to help the organization in, you know, these ways, right? Increasing revenue, reducing costs, improve business relationships and whatnot. So. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I like that approach. You know, one thing we've talked about a lot here is like the cybersecurity professional of the future, the CISO of the future. You know, so I wanted to ask, you know, for people that are aspiring to get to the CISO role or even existing CISOs who are looking to kind of uh, evolve and mature and go into the next generation, you know, of business and technology. Uh, do you have any resources you want to point them to, whether, you know, business books or resources or anything like that that you'd like to recommend? And obviously, maybe your book coming out would be a, among those, I think, right? Yeah, you know, and that's a... That's- Thanks, Chris. And that's a big reason why uh, my co-author, Matthew Sharp, and I wrote the book. Um, you know, there are a lot of there, there are tons and tons of resources out there. So what we did was try and kind of corral our experiences. And um, we both have MBAs. And, you know, we're saying that you don't need to get an MBA to be a secure, cybersecurity leader. But we've kind of taken the best of both of our MBA programs, mixed that with our experience and the resources that we've used throughout our careers. And try to, you know, brand up and distill it into the book for individuals. Having said that, I know some of the resources that we leaned on in creating the book are, you know, obviously the business model canvas we go over in the book, emotional intelligence we touch upon on the book, and and Daniel Goleman's book, Emotional Intelligence. He's the one who first kind of coined the concept. Daniel Pink's book, Drive, you know, which is around intrinsically and extrinsically motivating individuals. And, you know, and um, uh, what is it? Dale Carnegie's How to Win and Influence Friends or How to Win and Influence People, rather. Part of cybersecurity is you've got to build the relationships, you know, within your teams and across the business. So that way you can exert influence in the organization. Yeah, I I love that as, you know, someone who, you know, I've been working on sort of integrating a lot of human factors like cognition and perception and, and how we communicate and how we can communicate more efficiently between teams. I think that that is such a, a huge component of cybersecurity, whether you're a practitioner or in a CISO role, but but being able to effectively communicate and build relationships instead of maybe messing them up or making people, you know, not yeah. trust us, you know, we exactly. want people to trust us. So uh, I think those are, are, are really good points. So with that, with the amount of experience that you have as a practitioner, and the the experience that you now have as a CISO and, and sort of and running a business, what does cyber resiliency mean to you? And whether from a practitioner standpoint or, or sort of where you're at currently, whatever whatever side you'd like to take. Yeah, I mean, so resiliency, cyber resiliency by definition, actually by DHS's definition, uh, is you know not word for word, but something along the lines of being able to to still operate in times of stress during times of stress. So, you know, it's not just failover and redundancy. It's, you know, how do you continue to operate the business in a secure fashion during times of stress? And, you know, in the past year and a half, I don't know where the swear jar is, but we've been in a global pandemic and, you know, which is 
kind of a black swan event and organizations had to pivot really quickly and figure out how they're going to essentially affect their business continuity plans on steroids and work from home, providing connectivity where, where there wasn't connectivity before, uh, providing access to where there wasn't access before. So you have to be able to build in that agility. What we've learned largely is having the ability to build in that agility and, and, and that elasticity within your cyber programs is critical. Could you imagine, you know, come March, April of 2020, you know, as we're all pivoting from home, you know, you sat there in a CISO or practitioner role saying, no, 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 we've got to have a bake-off between all these remote access solutions. And, you know, it's going to take us three to six months to sort this out. And it just wouldn't have, like, we wouldn't have jobs. So. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's, that's, that's perfect. And before we, we finish the interview, I was, could you tell people where to find you, uh, where to find the book and, and give them some information on that? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn, Rock Lambros, R-O-C-K-L-A-M-B-R-O-S. Love to connect on there. That's, uh, you know, that's probably the, the best way to find me. Uh, you can find the book on Amazon or at our website, CISOevolution.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, uh, Rock, for, for joining us today, giving us lots of different insight from the, from the CISO perspective. We really appreciate it. And uh, thanks, everybody. We will see you next week. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It was great. Thank you.